Diane has asked me to you know, start the uh, teachings today by giving an overview of the Four Noble Truths and, and speaking a little bit in particular about the Third Noble Truth, which is really, um, you know, it's the cessation of suffering. That's why we are all here, I suppose. At least that's why I'm here. You know, trying to cultivate my mind in that direction. So there's less, you know, uh, picking and choosing and uh, more ease with the way things are. And from that space, you know, going and something, we can change things. We can close the door, for example. But we can't go over and kind of knock down the man who is doing, or the woman who is doing the lawn mowing. That wouldn't be a very good thing to do. But we can definitely close the door. So, you know, to, through that the practice, we can become more skillful in uh, acting in a way which is wholesome, you know, for ourselves and for others as well. And that's as good as it gets, really. And sometimes there's nothing we can do, and that's okay also. So, <clears throat> so the, fourth, the Four Noble Truths, you know, it's really, it's the first teaching which the Buddha, well, let's say the second teaching which the Buddha gave after his enlightenment. You know, he, um, you know, realized enlightenment in, in Bodhgaya under the Bodhi tree and then after his enlightenment he was sitting there for like they say for about a week and he was reviewing you know what he had understood and it became you know clear to him that what he had understood is a very subtle truth and it would be very difficult to teach it. So he was considering actually not to teach, but just kind of stay in the, you know, in the kind of ease of his realization. But then he was, you know, approached, the suttas say he was approached by one of the deities, <coughs> by Brahma Sahampati, who was asking him to teach for those with little dust in their eyes. He said, you know, that there were beings out there, people out there who had who were ripe, you know, to actually really understand the teaching. And then the Buddha was starting, you know, to walk from Bodhgaya to, to Saranath, which is near Varanasi, because he knew, you know, his uh, former colleagues, the five ascetics, were still practicing there. And he, he could see, you know, with his intuition that they were actually ready for this teaching, that they would be able to get it, so to say. So he, he was starting to set out and, uh, and then he's coming to Saranath and then he was uh, delivering his first teaching, the Dhamma Chaka Pavatana Sutta. And Dhamma Chaka means Dhamma wheel. You know, the wheel of Dhamma was set rolling for the first time when he was giving the teaching on the Four Noble Truths. And one of the five ascetics, you know, entered the stream at that teaching and you know it's rolling since then and hasn't stopped rolling because there were always people who understood to a certain degree or even fully realized you know the teaching and the central expression of the teachings of the buddha is the four noble truths and it's all uh, arranged around the insight that everything what has the nature to arise has the nature to cease and because of that you know there is a uh, 
on a conventional level, we experience a lot of uncertainty and instability in our lives because of that very truth. And that's already the first noble truth, is simply stating there is suffering or there is instability. And the Pali word is dukkha. And, you know, and the word dukkha consists of two parts. The first part, du, means something like difficult. And the second part, ka, points towards the um, hole in the, you know, where an axle would be inserted in order for a wheel to roll. And the word dukkha basically refers to like friction, you know, that the axle is not fitting into the hole of the wheel and therefore it's a bumpy ride, you know. And uh, all of our lives are bumpy rides, you know, and sometimes it goes well for a certain stretch of time and then something happens again. And that's our lives and there's nobody exempt from that fate. And that's the first noble truth, is just simply acknowledging there is dukkha or saying, you know, life is like this, or that's life, or salary, or however you want to say it. And that's a great relief, you know, being able to acknowledge it's not my fault, it's not your fault, it's just life, because everything which has their nature to rise has the nature to cease. It couldn't be otherwise. So that's the first noble truth. <laughs> and this noble truth you know, has to be understood, it has to be embraced, it has to be accepted, it has to be allowed. All of those different ways, you know, how we can express it. First noble truth. And then second noble truth is the origin of suffering is craving or attachment. And this, you know, noble truth has to be released, has to be abandoned, you know, that attachment has to be abandoned, has to be let go of, has to be dissolved, you know, through insight, really, through insight and wisdom and compassion, you know. So through practicing meditation, you know, practicing the simplicity of, you know, being with the breathing in and the breathing out, as I said in a poem, you know, just sitting still, those circles have broken apart and been carried away by the simple wind blowing in and out. Because of insight, you know, those circles are of concepts and identifications, they start to kind of crumble, you know. And uh, that's what we are practicing for, you know to have those circles of identification and concepts to slowly, through insight, being dissolved, you know. And then the third noble truth <coughs> is the noble truth of the cessation of suffering, which is like through having practiced in that way, you know, the four foundations of mindfulness. So having practiced in that way and having deeper and deeper insight into the way things are, Grasping releases, and that's the synonym for the end of suffering, cessation of suffering through letting go of grasping and being in the flow of the way things are. And then the last is the noble truth of the way leading to the cessation of suffering. 
So true human flourishing, you know, and the Noble Eightfold Path is all about that. I'm sure you've heard about that. That's also like a very central template in the teachings of the Buddha. And it's not just the moral uh, guidelines. It's much more than that. It's, it's like how can we as human beings, you know, evolve to ever greater freedom internally and externally. But not the kind of freedom, you know, where we have control about how many people are mowing lawns, you know, when we want to sit meditation. But it's more about having that breadth of mind that we can include everything. We don't have to control life. We are at ease with being with the way things are. And that's the true freedom, you know. It's completely portable. And it's even portable into the next lifetime. That, you know, that wisdom and compassion which was cultivated comes with us, becomes, becomes part of our being. So it's like a sitting here in an ex-credit uh, union building, you know, it's like the best investment ever made. <laughs> Nobody can compare with that kind of um, security, you know, no, nothing whatsoever in the whole wide world compares to that, you know. So those tasks, you know, which have to be done is to embrace and understand. And my first teacher, Archon, or second teacher actually, Archon Sumeda, he was always saying, you know, to stand under the suffering, to really go close to it and allow, allow it to rain down upon you, you know, and then move through you and change you. Familiarizing ourselves with the way things really are. So that's the first. And then the second one is, to release and abandon the origin of suffering, the attachment, the tanha, craving. The third one, to realize the cessation of suffering, which is you know, the reason why we are practicing. And then the path leading to the cessation of suffering is the template you know, according to which we should perform. And meditation is one of them, but then you know, we have to bring that meditation out into our lives. And the five precepts, you know, are a very good framework for that. But they are just like the firm basis to stand on. And then from that, you know, we are acting in accordance with what we know to be true. And, you know, and through that we become more and more the kind of person we would like to be. So, you know, we have to really then act on it in that way. Thinking uh, alone about it is not enough, but it's a, it's a necessary beginning is, you know, to have a certain template and then follow it, really embody it. And, you know, the, those four noble truths <coughs> in the Theravada teaching, you know, they're considered, you know, really the quintessence of the teaching. And sometimes they're like called the elephant footprint, you know, of the teaching, because any teaching within the canon fits inside of that footprint of the Four Noble Truths. And if you meet a teaching which doesn't fit into the footprint of the Four Noble Truths, it's not a teaching of the Buddha. Because all you know, the different uh, lists of contemplation the Buddha has uh, suggested and you know, different meditation methods and all teachings, they all point towards preparing the mind for letting go by kind of supporting the mind and the body 
to understand the way things truly are and through that understanding you know old ways of thinking and uh, conceptualizing about the world starts to disintegrate you know and just kind of drop away just like I said in the poem all your old thoughts like snow falling on warm ground and then just kind of they're gone you know so you know certain ways how we have thought in the past you know if, if we are practicing well the kind of those you know which were not in accordance with truth they start to dissolve and then our life takes on you know more uh, freedom and more spaciousness and then through that you know we can even you know take on greater difficulties and stay steady and being able you know to work with them and you know our life is just kind of we are flourishing in that way and uh, you know flourishing means you know not taking it all so personal and you know and being able to uh, despite of you know not having it the way we want it to be to be okay with that that's a great strength to cultivate and it's it's you know makes our own lives much better and also you know we're gonna become a source of great solace and strength for others as well it's a great leadership quality you know to be able to to stay steady if things not going our way and you know every family has maybe one or two people who are much better in that than others and and we can see you know people gravitate to that person because they feel like safe there you know and uh, so it's that first insight you know that there is suffering it's not like i am suffering but it's 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 this it's saying there is suffering taking the eye out of the suffering you know and just saying there is suffering and then working with that, you know, letting that really bring it home, you know, and not saying, I don't want anything to do with suffering, I just want, you know, to, to look somewhere else. But the Buddha says, you know, if you want to kind of integrate that into your life, and if you want to really understand the way things truly are, you have to do exactly the opposite, you have to turn towards the suffering. And you know, there is a lot of support in the teaching and there's also other modalities, you know, how we can learn to be more at ease with suffering, like, you know, psychology and different forms of therapy have also been developed to help people, you know, if they have great traumas maybe, you know, which have been inflicted upon them when they were very early, very young, and which are kind of so powerful, you know, that people cannot stay conscious with it and might need some help, you know. So that might also be a good way of uh, getting started in certain areas where we feel it's too overwhelming, you know. And, uh, you know, and that insight that there is suffering, there is, it's not a privileged insight, you know, which only some people can have if they have access, you know, to a certain special kind of information but it's it's very open it's very open source you know it's very accessible every moment 
you decide to be with your experience, you can see it. And, uh, you know, the Four Noble Truths, they have also been, uh, you know, in the, in the teachings, they are actually broken down in 12 insights. The Four Noble Truths, each Noble Truth has three aspects, and three times four is 12. So, so the first aspect is, you know, so th that's about how to relate to each of those uh, Four Noble Truths. The first one is to acknowledge, you know, that there is suffering, there's the origin of suffering, there's the cessation of suffering, there's the path. The second one is, you know, what needs to be done about it, the practice. So saying, you know, the first one should be understood, the second one should be let go of, the third one should be realized, and the fourth one should be cultivated. And then the third aspect is, it has been happening. So the first one, it has been understood. The second one, it has been abandoned. The third one, it has been realized. And the fourth one, it has been cultivated, developed. So those three aspects are very simple. You know, seeing it for what it is, realizing that we have to practice with this, and then having practice with it. Those three aspects. And then, you know, that gives us a sum total of 12 insights. And those insights, you know, are basically one way of expressing, you know, what the teaching of the Buddha is basically um, designed for, you know, to make those insights come forth for us. And through that, you know, to break through old conditioning and basically change our minds, you know. And you've all heard about brain plasticity, that this is a real scientifically proved fact, you know, that if people apply their minds for just a few weeks in a different way, the, the brain, you know, the material in the, you know, which is called the brain, does change in the way it fires, you know, and in the way it arranges itself. So that's really amazing, and it's only, I think, some experience have been made, you know, even at six weeks or so, it can already kind of, you have, a, there's changes happening which can be documented, you know, with uh, some kind of, uh, you know, modern machines, so to say. So that's really amazing and very encouraging, you know, and that doesn't stop with age or anything, that's just like, we can do that just until we drop dead, basically. And that's a really very comforting um, confirmation to have from science, you know. And, um, you know, the Buddha has sometimes been also compared to a doctor. Because, you know, in the ancient times in India, spoken about a fourfold diagnosis, you know, for people who, who went to the doctor. And at those times, you know, the ideal of medicine was actually preventative, you know, you would go to the doctor and so that you would not get sick, rather than going to the doctor only afterwards when you're already sick. And then, you know, in that, in that vein, you know, dukkha or unsatisfactoriness, instability, frustration, friction, or however we want to 
translate it, that would be the disease, you know, the illness we all suffering from. And the, the virus, the bacteria, you know, which is the reason for the illness is craving or attachment or tanha in Bali. So that's the thirst. Tanha means thirst. You know, thirsting for something which we don't have. So that's the, the virus. And then absolute health, the third noble truth is, is uh, Nibbana, or freedom from suffering, how that's sometimes also called, or the unborn, the uncreated, the <coughs> that which is, you know, f freedom from friction. And we can, you know, we can have a, a taste of it any moment, you know, if the mind is not under the sway of any of the hindrances, of if the mind is free from attachment, we have a taste of it, you know. So just right now, for example, you know, if, if your mind is just empty of thought for a moment, that's a taste of that Nibbana. It's not like a big wonderful firework of great happiness, but it's, it's, it's different. It's, it's a, a state of contentment and okayness. So it's, you know, it's, it's nothing kind of super special in the sense of, you know, excitement or big sensations, you know, but it, it's, it's, a, it's a, a simplicity and a, and a groundedness, you know, in the world, which is not more than what it is, but also not less than what it is. And it, we have to, it's an acquired taste because of its simplicity and it, it can't be compared to anything else. But it's like, it's an acquired taste, you know, in, in the practice, we go back to that again and again, and we strengthen the connection to that. And then this, the fourth uh, is the cure, or the, you know, the, what the doctor suggests us to do, that's the Noble Eightfold Path, which is the, you know, which is a, a, a task-based ethics. You know, which not, is not only about morality, but which is about, you know, human flourishing. And it has to be put into practice. Thinking about it is not enough. So it's, it needs to be put into practice. And, you know, sometimes people think, oh, you know, she speaks about the Four Noble Truths, it's just beginner stuff, you know, it's just like, you know, that's how, if somebody wants to explain in a high school or so what Buddhism is all about, they will most likely speak about the Four Noble Truths, you know. But actually, you know, we could practice, we practice, if we are practicing Buddhism, we're practicing that our whole life. And as I said, you know, it's the elephant footprint and it's absolutely, absolutely central to the teaching. And what we are learning, you know, through practicing in that way is, you know, that the suffering is not inherent in the phenomena, you know, which are failing us, you know, like people dying and flowers wilting and cars breaking down and airplanes, you know, kind of coming, falling down from the sky and climate change and all of the things which are happening, you know, 
it's not inherent in the phenomena, but it's inherent in the in the minds how we are relating to phenomena. If we're expecting things to happen a certain way, just because we want it to be that way, because we always you know want our preferences to be fulfilled, and there's nothing bad about that. It's just a bit childish, really. And and the practice is is helping us to see that you know. And, and let go of that kind of constantly relating everything back to me and my preferences. I want it to be that's just all right for me and then it'd be okay for others, would be okay too, but actually, you know, for me, I'm most important. And to just, you know, and, and to see that just, and not judging ourselves for it, but to just really see it full on, you know. And, and not cringing away in uh, embarrassment because, you know, we do have that. Because it's part of our evolutionary survival kit, you know, which has brought us that far, you know, starting from, you know, very, starting from stardust, you know, coming to today, you know, in the evolutionary trajectory, actually not knowing how many times such a unfolding has already happened, but you know, we are consciously in that right now. And it's not going to stop here, you know. And, and we are just like a little cock in the wheel, you know, of this huge process. And, and the more conscious, you know, we become of it, the more actually we are fulfilling our evolutionary role, you know, which is about you know, surrendering to this huge process and doing our part, you know. And, uh, you know, and if we start to see it in that way, then our life takes on like a different strength, you know, because it isn't anymore about getting what you want and fighting off what you don't want, but it's much more about, you know, just being part of this huge uh, unfolding, you know, which is sacred. And, you know, if we're always all related only to me and myself, and, you know, if it's happening in the way I want it to happen, then all of that sacredness is just going out the window, you know, because the mind is much too coarse, because it's so much, you know, bent only on its own preferences and completely unaware, you know, what's really happening here. And that's a great loss, you know, and then we need more and more stuff because we need to kind of artificially satisfy, you know, our cravings for some kind of connection or for some kind of... Uh, making sense, you know, out of this. And then, you know, the whole industry is all about convincing us it's all about getting this and getting that and, you know, trying to kind of, you know, work against nature on all levels, you know, being healthy every day and for our whole life and then, you know, getting, don't know how old in order to be, not making a mistake and, you know, it's all about trying to escape from reality and uh, 
in that way, you know, like really living so much on the surface, you know, that we need more and more distraction in order to actually be able to have, you know, a certain amount of well-being in our lives. But if we are really, you know, working with those teachings, then uh, there's much more independence from conditions, you know. And that's the real freedom. And that's, you know, what these Four Noble Truths are all about, you know. Giving us a, a template to free ourselves from the dependency on having it always the way we want it to be. And that's a great gift, you know. And with this, you know, and with um, equipped with this understanding, you know, we can meet whatever is happening with confidence, you know. Because if we can change, if we can do something about it, we'll do it. And if we can't, we just will be with it as it is. And it is okay. Because we are just like part of this huge unfolding and we can just do our part and, and that's good enough, you know. And uh, it's like breathing in and breathing out, you know. Using the practice as a, as a way to resource ourselves, which is breathing in, and then from that wisdom and compassion, which is cultivated that way, going out into the world and acting as good as we can, and then stopping again and breathing in. And then going out and acting again and relating, you know, and that's, and that's as good as it gets, really. And there has never been anybody who has, has done differently than that, you know, only the quality of it. We can improve the quality by, you know, having, having a certain understanding about how we can familiarize ourselves more deeply with the way things really are, because then we will be much more effective, you know, in the small sense and in the big sense. And we'll have much more ease, you know, in our relationships as well, because we don't expect that which is, you know, can't be had. And then we have a way of relating to others, which is, you know, in accordance with uh, reality, not having too big expectations, you know. Also from, uh, about our own capacity, you know, be being kind of realistic of how much you can master, not being biting off more than you can chew, you know. All of those things, they all kind of fall into place through that cultivation of insight. And uh, it all starts with simply, you know, kind of taking the time to stop and look. And uh, that's what the first noble truth is all about, you know, to just saying there is suffering, there is dukkha. This, you know, life is a bumpy ride. And that is okay, it's not only for me like that, it's for everybody like that. And, uh, you know, that's what the Buddha really asks us to do, is to let go of this reactivity and to become part of the flow of life. And, uh, you know, somebody who's entered the stream, 
like that's the first level of insight according to the Pali Canon, you know, has, has seen that, you know. And then from there on, there's more work to be done, but that someone who has, who is not anymore like going in circles like that, but who entered the stream and is going towards the end of suffering. Because there's two kinds of suffering, you know, the suffering which leads to the end of suffering and the suffering which is just going in circles. You know, you can choose. You cannot opt out of suffering, but you can choose the one, you know, which you can use for your own benefit and for the benefit of others, or you can just keep on kind of circling and circling and circling for hundred thousands of lifetimes, you know. So that's what is on offer, you know, according to the teachings of the Buddha. And uh, You know, I definitely go for the first version. I go for the suffering which leads out of suffering. <laughs> and I have understood a little bit about it, you know, and I try as good as I can to share with others. And I think it's a really good deal, really. I don't think there's any better investment you can make, you know, mm -hmm. with your life than using it in that way rather than being used by it. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.